The following presentation is brought to you by KMmedia.pro. Please visit KMmedia.pro for more information. Now stay right where you are as we present. Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, evolving ideas, one conversation at a time. Great guests, dynamic stories and interviews, plus new thoughts on a wide range of topics and concepts. I hope that you'll hang with me, Kevin McDonald, my friends, and of course, you, as together we work to understand why we are all here and what we can do to make our world a better place for all of us to be happy, be kind, and live in peace together. Yep, that's Positive Talk Radio. to a very important episode of Positive Talk Radio. I'm glad that you're here, and that nice young lady we're sitting over there, is she's the, she's the boss. Oh, well, that's good to know. Could you tell my husband? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's good from here for him to hear it from someone else. <laughs> I agree. Well, you just just give him your business card. That'll, that'll fix it. <laughs> okay, good. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Michelle Neff Hernandez is with us. And by the way, before we get into this, I want to let everybody know that if you are recently widowed or you know somebody who is recently widowed, please, please, please direct them to this episode because we are going to be talking in depth with Michelle about the work that she does, the program that she's developed, and um, which, by the way, has reached over 4 million people. There are 70 regional groups, and this is heartbreaking. 69% are parenting minor children mm -hmm. of people that have been widowed. And um, they mail out 10 newly widowed packages, 10,000. 10, Yikes. The newly widowed packets every year and a 20,000 uh, outreach card. And they do it all for nothing um, because they do this as a public service for you. And it, it's really has grown into quite a thing, Michelle. You should be very proud of, of all the things and all the people that are involved. And a lot of them are real high powered people and, and they get it. They get the reason why being widowed, and it's, it says in your website, being widowed is the is probably the toughest, most stressful thing that a human being can go through in their life because it's not what you plan for when you're on when you're wearing that dress or wearing the tux and you're saying I do. Yeah, you know, because we like to start out on that positive note, which is wonderful. And uh, you know, the thing about being widowed is that it always begins with love. And, and what I think it's useful for people to remember is that that love always continues. And so if you know a widowed person and you're thinking to yourself, why is it that they just seem like they're not getting over it? Um, it it's just a good reminder that, you know, you don't get over love. You just figure out how to incorporate that love into your life as you go forward. And that takes some time and it takes some energy. Um, and it, in, and what we believe is that in community and with resources that are developed specifically for widowed people with the intention of helping them build new and meaningful lives, because that's the reality. We have to start again. It's not going to be the same life you thought you were going to live. As you said, you know, you start out with one plan in mind and, and widowhood takes you in a different direction. And oftentimes it's a direction you didn't want to go. Um, and so our work, the work of Soaring Spirits, which is our, um, organization, Soaring Spirits International, our work is to help widowed people rebuild their lives. And we do that in community with life-affirming programs that are research-based so that we know that what we're offering people, if they can access it and if they can just take those small steps one tiny bit at a time, can bring them to a place of resilience and to uh, the opportunity to build a life they that they love again. And Michelle, you speak from experience in, in this, in this whole program, because you started this, what was it? 15 years ago now? It'll be 14 years this month, actually. In a couple weeks, we're 14 years old. Uh, we started in 2008. And I should say for anybody who might be confused by the fact that I started the top of this hour by asking uh, Kevin to tell my husband 
husband that <laughs> that um, I am remarried. And so uh, a lot of times people will say, well, how does your husband feel about you doing this work and about talking about your late husband and how much you love him and miss him? Um, and the the beauty is that he understands, my current husband's name is Michael, he understands that you don't stop loving people when they die. And his, my favorite thing that he, he said this early actually when we were dating. Um, so guys, if you're listening to this, you know, get ready for this as a dating line. If ever you should need one, <laughs> he said, early in in, in right. You're always in need, right. This is a good one for your pocket. But he said, um, when discussing, like I was at the time we met, I was doing this work already. So I was already working with widowed people. And so basically I'm like a package deal. I'm a package deal with a bunch of other widowed people. I am widowed. I talk about being widowed. I, I provide services for widowed people. I've written a book about my experience. And so um, I said, you know, this is kind of the deal. This is how it is. And he said, you know, the thing for me is I don't understand why, like if you were to, if, if your grandmother dies and um, you keep loving her. People think that's beautiful and and so wonderful that you remember her and that you can speak about her. He said, it just doesn't make sense to me why if your spouse or partner died, people would judge you harshly for continuing to talk about them and continuing to love them. So um, it's just, it's a beautiful way of looking at love. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, from my perspective, love never dies. Yep. And it, it, it continue on, it continues on forever. But I will say that in the work that I've done in my life, um, people that pass over um, unexpectedly or otherwise, they want you to have the absolute best life that you can. And uh, for you to enjoy every day that you're on this planet until it's your time to go. And then you get to see them again. But until that time, they really want you to to enjoy yourself. And a lot of times we have trouble understanding that, don't we? Well, I think also we just have trouble getting there emotionally. And so, you know, for people who are like, oh, whatever, Kevin, um, <laughs> I, I just want to say that, you know, sometimes it takes time. And so there is a period where, you know, grief is is really hard to carry and so oftentimes during that during that phase you know it doesn't feel like this this desire of your loved one for you to live fully matters you're like whatever you're dead i'm here stuck like don't tell me what to do maybe that was just me but um but you know the truth i this is what i i i truly believe that you know love always has the best interest of the person who is loved at heart right that's a definition for what loving someone is and so being loved by phil my late husband i know that he wants for me you know everything that i can have that would make me happy everything i could have that would be joyful now it takes a little time for me to find my way to that and to reconcile the fact that that hopeful joyful life would be without his physical presence. And I think that's where you find people getting stuck. No matter who it is they grieve, if they're grieving their parents, if they're grieving a sibling or a friend, you know, oftentimes we find ourselves in grief thinking like, how can I be happy when this person is not present anymore in my life in the way that I have been accustomed to them, you know, being present. And I, I like to say that because I want to make sure people you know, I, I, my, all my dead loved ones are still a part of my life. They're all in my life still. And, and that's because I, I welcome a continued connection with them. And I believe that finding a way for them to influence your life and be recognized in your life is part of how we heal and how we can build a new meaning of life, meaningful life, because I can't leave Phil behind. He's part of who I am. I'm part of what I've done with my life is, is a reflection of, you know, my experience grieving him. And so if you struggle, if you find yourself right now thinking, I don't know how to be happy when I'm grieving, just know that that's normal. It's, it's a process and that your loved one wanting you to be happy doesn't equal necessarily automatic happiness. Um, but I think that it can serve as a reminder that love always has the loved the beloved's best interest at heart. And if that's true, then your person who loves you wants everything wonderful for you. But that's what I like about what soaringspirits.org does is you help people get from where they are to where they are then capable 
of of picking up the pieces and moving forward and living their life. And you do it through community. I can't think of a better way to do it. Well, yeah. And, you know, the other thing is we start out by just allowing people to be where they are. So you come to us and and you be who you are, where you are, struggling with whatever you're struggling with, you know, or not struggling with, you get to come and just be who you are. And when you have the opportunity to be in a community, and this is the thing about our community, what we do is we choose to make the thing that unites us, which is this kind of universal grief experience, more important than anything that might divide us. And that could be personal beliefs, that could be religious beliefs, that could be, you know, life experience. It could also be the way you were widowed or how old you are or any of those things. We decide when we come together that the most important thing is we're all grieving the death of our spouse or partner and we're trying to figure it out. And that that figuring out needs to happen over many years because you're constantly learning something new about yourself. You're constantly interacting with your grief in a different way. When you do that in community, there is a, a way of, you know, creating the scope of experience that I've nothing that nothing I've ever experienced is similar to that. And so, as you said, like this community, it's not about death. It's about life. And so when we come together, people imagine that if you're at Camp Widow, you're constantly talking about death and you're constantly talking about grief. The reality is we're always talking about life and about, you know, what's happening right now and how, how yes, what our grief experience is influencing today, but mostly what we're doing is trying to get through so that we, we can together welcome a life that suits the person we're becoming, you know, through our grief experience. And when we're handling grief all by ourselves, sometimes we can't see the forest through the trees. Absolutely. And it makes it really, really hard to move forward. Um, but if you've got a group of people, because I think everybody, now you tell me, people grieve differently, don't they? Absolutely. It's so funny because it's the most universal experience and also the most unique. You know, so on the one hand, every person in the world is going to grieve. And, and, and on some level, maybe grieving right now, and that'll be on different levels and for different reasons and about different things. Um, so we have this universality of experience and yet everything about who we are and where we live in the world and the access we have to resources and what our death experiences were are going to influence how we process what we've experienced. It's, it's an incredible um, it, it's just an incredible experience. A tr it's a transformative experience. And, and that's for every single person. And even the people who choose not to process, right, they're transformed by the choice they make not to process. And so this grief experience, it's transformational, whether you like it or not. And it's, and, and I don't say that to be flip. I, I really mean that you are transformed by grief, whether you choose to acknowledge the transformation, whether you resist the transformation, whether you embrace it 100%, no matter what, every person who grieves, is transformed by that experience just by the fact that we now know things we didn't know. We know what it's like to live in a world without the person that we're grieving. And, uh, you know, that in and of itself is transformative. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I, you know, and some of us, and that, that's why I really like having you come on the show and talk about this because everybody needs, everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs yeah. help. And you can't, if, if you're grieving for somebody and it's been 10 years and you just can't get past it and it's affecting your life in a really negative way, you need to reach out to someone like Michelle who can then help you through it and at your own pace, doing what you need to do. But, uh, and, but working with uh, other people that, cause you know, it, it's like if you, if you play football, and, uh, and you're on a football team, you cannot describe what it's like to be on a football team to somebody who's never played football. <laughs> you could try. <laughs> you, can, you can try, but, but they, they, and they may understand it intellectually, but they won't understand it fundamentally and in, in a real, real sense. And somebody that has not, even, even like I was divorced 15 years ago, but that person is still walking around on the planet so it's not the same thing. So I can't compare my grief experience of my marriage dying to somebody whose spouse actually dies. So we don't, if, if we haven't gone through it, you don't really know how to deal with it. Is that, is that fair to say? 
I think it is. And and I also want to just acknowledge a couple of things. One is that when your person, the person you were planning your life with dies, you know, of, oftentimes that's your sounding board, right? So you said that it's difficult to grieve, you know, on your own in isolation. And I like to, you know, call that the court of me, myself and I. And when you get stuck in a loop with you, yourself and you, it's really hard to get out if you don't have some additional perspective. And oftentimes when it is your person, the pivotal person in your life, spouse or partner, then your sounding board as well, you end up in need of another sounding board. And that's where community can come in. That's where the key people in your life can come in. And, you know, that though they may not have experienced the same exact thing if they're the key people in your life, what you want to surround yourself with are people who support and love you because the grief experience takes however long it takes, but it does require us to actively interact with our grief. And so um, there was a man that one of the key programs for Camp Widow or for Soaring Spirits is called Camp Widow. Um, it's, it's a two, there are two versions. One's a weekend long, one's a single day. And the purpose of this is to come together in community to access tools and resources that will help you rebuild your life. So I got a call from a man um, who'd been widowed eight years. And he told me that he had been engaged two times during that eight year period. And that both engagements ended before he could get married. He said, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I think it, it's possible that I haven't dealt with my grief over my first wife. And do you think that it would be valuable for me to come to Camp Widow? And so I said, you know, for, absolutely, yes, I do think it would be valuable. And sure enough, he came and he felt like for the first time in his eight years, he had the space mentally, emotionally, and even this physical space that he was in, right, to be able to engage with his grief. And so I, I tell that story because I think we judge ourselves harshly and some and certainly our community can judge our, us harshly if, like you said, it's been 10 years and you think to yourself, what's wrong with me? Why why am I struggling to engage in life 100%? Why, why is it that I still feel sad about this person um, who died? And so I want to just normalize that. It's normal to still feel sad 10 years later. It's normal for you to have a trouble re-engaging in life if you haven't actively interacted with your grief. So, you know, I always tell people it's like a drumbeat underneath everything you do. And and sometimes that drumbeat is fast and intense and you can hear it really loudly. There's nothing else you can hear. Other times it's just a soft background noise. But we always have the need to interact with our grief in order to process it. It won't go away just because we're not looking at it. And and in fact if if you ignore it, it 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 gets stronger, and it comes out in our bodies. It comes out in our our mental you know faculties. It comes out emotionally. It comes out in our relationships, our job performance, our parenting. If we don't actively engage with our grief and find a healthy way to process it, then the grief will demand our attention by coming out in a variety of either negative coping techniques or physical ailments, mental ailments, um, you know, the inability to engage with people emotionally. Your grief will have its say whether or not we welcome it. And so what we hope to do at Soaring Spirits is give people support while they have that interaction with their grief. That's why we sort of call it holding space, right? Holding physical space as well as mental and emotional space for people to know that they're safe to be however they are, to feel however they feel about their grief, and hopefully to engage with it in a healthy way to be able to take them forward, um, you know, step by step through what is a natural process that we here in the U.S. especially struggle to embrace. Exactly. Now, I want to change the topic just a little bit, if I can. Are we and talk is... about football? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about football. No, what I wanted to, what I wanted to ask you is, you know, throughout history and throughout time, in the last 20, 30 years, there have been lots of people who have been widowed. Um, and um, what was it about you specifically? And your experience, because nobody else created Soaring Spirits International, <laughs> you did. And uh, so there must have been, what was it about you that, that, to say, that said, no, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore and I'm going <laughs> to do something about it because I don't want, well, you tell me what motivated you to start Soaring Spirits International? 
Well, first, I want to say that, that, you know, in some ways, it was the accident of, you know, not really knowing what I was starting. So I'm as shocked as anybody else as where to where this organization has grown to. Um, and now more clear than ever about what our potential is. But, uh, you know, I started it just because I didn't see I didn't in my local area, I couldn't find anybody else who was raising kids and and was widowed. And so I thought, where where do you find those people? And I started just asking people if they knew someone who's widowed that I could connect with. And in that, in those early days, I ended up interviewing 30 other widowed people. And my intention was just to find out some practical things. I wanted to know how long I was supposed to wear my wedding ring, what I was supposed to do with his shoes. I wanted to know if people slept on the same side of the bed or on a different side of the bed or on a different bed altogether. I had these like very practical questions. And in my mind, the only person who would know the answer is somebody else who was widowed. What I soon discovered was that there were of the 30 people who I asked the question of 30 different answers. But the joy of that was that then whatever I chose to do sort of fit within this beautiful scope that I was creating. And at the end of those interviews, I realized that the thing that most, that I felt most hopeful about, I, when I, when I thought about my life in a hopeful way, it was after meeting with those widowed people, because I saw that they were still doing it, that they were creating lives for themselves, that it was possible to live through this, which sounds dramatic, but I have to say that I could not believe the pain I felt didn't kill me. Like, how is it that you can feel this level of emotional pain and live through that, one? And then two, how do you, like, re-engage in life in a joyful way? And it was meeting other people that proved to me that that was possible. And so for me, wanting to offer that space to other people, that was a motivating factor for Soaring Spirits. I wanted to hold an event, which turned out eventually to become Camp Widow, I want to bring widowed people together. Anybody who had had, you know, a death of a spouse or partner, I just thought there's got to be some of them that want to come together. And after that first event, which was held in 2009, I thought this is magic. Like I felt compelled to continue it. And then, you know, that led to asking widowed people, what do you need? And, and discovering how could we answer that question that led to research about widowed people, in particular, younger widowed people for whom there's much less research that led to continuing to advocate for the support of both the people around the widowed person and the widowed person as they continue to recreate their life. And then, of course, I met the widowed people over and over again whose lives were transformed by meeting each other. And I thought, you know, if what's required of me is courage and dedication, that's a small price to pay to be able to offer someone a lifeline through what, for me, was one of the most difficult experiences of my life. Um, and you said it at the top of the hour, it is rated on one of the most commonly used stress scales that the death of a spouse or partner is the number one most stressful thing you'll live through in your life. Um, and so recognizing that and feeling that myself, living through it myself, I thought if there's any way I could help another widowed person make this process any easier for them then I feel like that's, that's my job. That's, that's what I do. So, um, you know, since that time we've grown to include programs I never dreamed of. We've grown to support people in 153 countries. Um, and I will say, you know, in, we don't, we, we offer the majority of our programs for free because there are people out there with money willing to help us do it because that, has been the hardest thing I've ever done. Funding this organization has been the hardest thing I've ever done and not on my radar at all. I had no idea what I was doing when I started this thing. I thought, I don't even know what I thought. I was only widowed a year. What did I know? And I had never run a nonprofit before. Um, but I, what I knew, this is what I knew to answer that. My, own, I'm going to answer my own question, Kevin. Thank you for asking. <laughs> <it again. laughs> but what I knew was that there was magic in the connections between people who were struggling through the same type of experience. And if I could just bring them together and offer them each other, from that would develop what came next, which was this massive, you know, beautiful, inclusive, hopeful, life-affirming um, community and organization that has the great privilege, truly the great privilege to serve widowed people throughout the world. Well, thank you for what you do. 
Uh, I I think it's remarkable and it it is so needed. And especially, you know, even if you were to take the, the reason for the group, which is, which is the death of a spouse, if you were to take that away, it's still the building of community, the building of working together. We, we, I I lived in a cul-de-sac for 20 years. And it took 10 years for me to learn my neighbor's name. Right. Because we would go into our garage and close the garage door. And we never communicated or never talked. And that, so we don't have in this country, in my opinion right now, a very good sense of community. Yeah, I agree with that. And you know, what's interesting is that oftentimes the thing that brings that community together is a tragedy. So, you know, if something bad happened in the cul-de-sac and everybody's out trying to figure out what's going on, that's when you suddenly are interacting with other people and recognizing the value of having a community in that space. And I think that we saw that through pandemic as well, which was this sense of like, first of all, the isolation when we didn't have the opportunity to meet in the ways that we usually did. And then secondly, the ways that so many people came up with these creative solutions for coming together, being driven by that need to live through hard things in the company of other people. And it's really, it's really hard right now because, you know, we just passed uh, I don't know when you're going to listen to this, ladies and gentlemen, but in this country, we just passed a million people dead from COVID-19. And that's somebody's mother, somebody's father, somebody's uncle, aunt, you know, uh, wife, husband. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was, I got to believe that the, that the grief associated with somebody that I was listening to an in interview um, yesterday from a lady that she said her husband, 44 years old, left the house one day, got sick, was sick, went to the emergency room. She never saw him again, except through Facebook and and stuff. And then he passed away a month later. Um, And that's got to be, because there there is no closure there. That's got to be really, really hard. So, so hard. I appreciate that you stated the number of COVID deaths. And I I just encourage everyone, if you would, just to take a minute, just, you know, a a 10-second break from your regular thinking and, you know, just to honor those people, every single one of those lives that were, you know, cut short. Um, So I will take a second just to honor them um, and then say, yeah, it, it, the, the experience of losing someone um, to a COVID death is unlike anything we've ever seen, truly unlike anything we've ever seen, because, a number of things, but one, you know, a lot of people who are, were experienced this death also had COVID themselves. So, I, I we served, um, we're continuing to serve the COVID nineteen community, but in the early stages, we did back to back programs specifically for COVID nineteen widowed people. I had the privilege of facilitating um, those groups, and let me just say, I, I it boggles the mind, you know, the pain that would come from not only never seeing your person again, you know, but the the constant barrage, right? I, I always tell people, my husband died in a cycling accident. It would be like if every time I went to the grocery store, I saw the word cycling accident on everything. Every time I turned on the radio, every time I turn on the TV. Every time I had a conversation with my neighbor, the thing that killed these people's partners is, was such a global phenomenon that there was no way for them to escape. And not only that, but it was then a controversial phenomenon. And so now you've got people, there was a woman um, that was walking down the street and um, her husband had died of COVID and she had a mask on and she was outside and the person approaching her said, you know, you don't have to wear that mask out here. And she said, you know, my husband died from COVID and the person backed up from her because probably had like a, an emotional reaction to what she was saying. And also that sense, you remember that sense when it was always like, wait, but do you have COVID? Yeah, you know, exactly. It was like that backup step that she took from her. And, um, she said, I just felt so 
violated by this woman who had no idea why I had a mask on and that I am terrified of this virus because it killed my husband. So however you feel about it politically, whatever you thought about how things were handled, I'm, I'm separating that for us right now and, and talking just about the personal lived experience of people whose loved ones died by COVID, that they were in the midst of this ongoing conversation argument, you know, all of the things that we all know came with the COVID-19 pandemic, but they have my hearts, those COVID-19 people, because it has been really, really hard. And as you said, you know, some, the, the sense, you know, I think everybody struggles with their own sense of closure, whatever that looks like for anyone. But what I know for sure these people never got was the opportunity to engage in end of life with their person in any way. And even, you know, for me personally, sometimes when someone's in an accident, you don't have the opportunity to engage with their physical body in the same way as you would if they died of an illness and you were there. But you would then have the funeral. You would then have the opportunity for people to come together. You would have whomever was in your community in your living room, maybe, or, you know, they they got none of that. Not only did they not oftentimes get to say goodbye at all, some of them did it through an iPad. Some of them did it on the phone. Some of them had to ask nurses or doctors to hold their hand or kiss their forehead or whatever it is that they would have wanted. Um, and so it's a, it's, there are, will be traumatic waves from these deaths for a long time. I agree. I agree. And, and now they're talking about this, this long COVID thing where people are, are having, you know, uh, symptoms that are, that are lasting for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And, and sadly we're not done yet. So I, I would like us to, as a community of, the United States of America as a community to kind of come together and, and, and say, if somebody wants to wear a mask, by God, let them. Yeah. You know, I I'm, I'm 64 years old. I wear a mask because I haven't had COVID. I don't want to get COVID because it might kill me. Yeah. And, I and got- you don't know who's caring for whom, you know, like they're just, you just don't know. You can't know. And so I think the thing that happened is that when you wear a mask, we start making assumptions about all kinds of things about what that means for the person doing it when we don't actually know. And I think if we could just give us, you know, ourselves and each other grace and just allow, you know, do what's best for you. And then when needed to step up for your community members, step up for your community members, because it is, I can tell you, I have heard the most heartbreaking stories around COVID deaths. Um, and, uh, you know, these, like I said, there there are waves of this trauma that, and, that, and I recognize that in all ways, right? There's ways this trauma will influence all of us for a long time. Uh, I have a friend that's a sociology professor, and she said, we're going to be studying 2020 for decades. <laughs> Yes, we will be because yeah. it's it, because it's a it, thing. Yeah, it really is a thing. Mm-hmm. And and uh, it's important for us. You know, we're, we're talking about death a lot here, but death is a part of life. And uh, and what you are doing with Soaring Spirits is that you are trying or you are actually working to bring life back to people that have faced some of these horrific horrible awful things yeah. and uh and to realize and and to get together with community i th- i think that you, you, what you're doing is so after 2020 is so much more needed yeah. um than than ever and, yeah and you know i think the thing is the need you know when we talk to people who are supporting our work i always say to them we're not solving anything you know this what we do is going to be needed for as long as humans die. And so we continue to serve a bigger and bigger and bigger group of people as the word about what we do gets out. And, you know, that's because this work, I think what COVID did was highlight the pandemic deaths highlighted the fact that grief exists and kind of dumped a a lot of people at the same time into sort of this, grief fog um, that that comes with 
death after death after death. And, you know, some families experienced multiple deaths from COVID. Yep. Other, you know, they're just, there's so much there. And it brought to the surface why processing our grief is important and the ways in which unprocessed grief impact our community as a whole. And that doesn't, you know, that's including whether or not you are the person with the grief experience, because when the people around us are grieving without support, whatever role they would normally play is not played as well, because it's just not possible to do it. So that's coworkers, you know, that's family members, that's neighbors, that's people who are a part of committees. All of us were grieving at different points and different times in different ways. And suddenly it was like, oh, wait, this grief thing is important. We need to be able to support people in grief. I think that's that's a lesson that um, the pandemic has taught us sort of, you know, how long our, our memories can go sometimes. Um, but I, I want to mention what you one thing you said, you know, especially for us here in the U.S., death is a part of life. And in the US, it's like we only can value the life part. We can't value the death part. In other communities and other places, life and death kind of blend in in a more natural and normal way. And so it, it, you offer the support because of course you do. It's a part of life. But for us, we're, we're really life focused here in the US and, um, and grief averse and often grief illiterate. And I think that that has cost us in this time of global grief, because we don't quite know what to do with ourselves. And, you know, like I said, we've been here for 14 years, kind of in the middle of the grief circle and watching it expand in this way um, and stepping into that gap in the ways that we are able to as an organization has been an an incredible challenge and also an incredible privilege. Absolutely. The work that you do is outstanding. And, but you're, you're right here in the United States, the way we've got it set up is, well, as, as an example, my brother-in-law um, took his own life mm-hmm. um, 20 years ago, but we never saw him again. Never saw right. his body, yeah. never saw, never processed it through Mm-hmm. Uh, in other cultures, you know, when somebody dies, people come and say goodbye, and yeah. and it's part it's part of the circle of life. Mm-hmm. We hide them. Yeah. Well, and you know what? So in some cultures, they actually sit with the dead body, and when you say that in the U.S., people kind of go like, "The oh, body." Yeah. Like we don't, you know, because that's not that's not how we have embraced the end of life, and and in particular for circumstances that are difficult for example, death by suicide. It's as if we can't wrap our head around the pain that must have caused that death. And instead, we want to blame people for what we consider sometimes giving up. And so we are, I am heartened by the fact that we are starting to talk much more about mental health and about what we need, you know, to consider mental health the same way we've we consider physical health. If there was something physically wrong with you, nobody blames you. If there's something mentally wrong with you, nobody should blame you for that either. And so I'm, I'm heartened by the fact that we seem to be moving in a direction of talking more about that. And um, I want to just compliment you on your language, Kevin. That was a beautiful way to discuss your brother-in-law's death right there. Last time we talked about suicide death, we talked about language and you know how we can all come together to make a difference. And you did it. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you. I learned from the best. <laughs> well, the- it makes a difference. It really does. And so for anyone listening who maybe didn't hear our last conversation, a lot of times we have been trained as a, as a society to, to use the words committed suicide because in years gone by, suicide was a crime. And so you would have committed a crime if you took your life. And so it's taken a long time and a lot of work to change those laws. And so many of you might think to yourself, yeah, do you get your life insurance? Like if you kill yourself, are you, and there are laws around that as well. And so, you know, we've come a ways, but, but 
we have to change our language and that's hard, especially if no one tells you. And so it's wonderful to have the opportunity always to educate people about this, because I know for sure, in your case, 100% sure that nobody wants to be hurtful in their language. They want to express support and love for all the people that they interact with. And so I say to everybody, as you're listening or watching, that when we talk about suicide death, if we can say died by suicide or took their life, um, if we can avoid the use the use of the word committed, then we can participate as a community in not making it seem as if someone has committed a crime if their mental health has deteriorated to the point where they no longer feel they're able to continue living. Um, and, you know, Naomi Judd is, is just a perfect example of that. I just read an article about Ashley Judd coming out and talking about her mom's mental health and how hard their family has had to work to separate the illness from the person so that they're not always just how she died, but more how she lived and then be able to speak about the mental health challenges that led to her death. Exactly. Robin Williams would be another example. Robin Williams, another example. <clears throat> yep. You know, of, of, and the, and the thing is, if you, if you look at, as an example, my brother-in-law's story, you will see why, you, and it's pretty clear if there is a crime to be had there, it's the family and friends that were around him that did not rally to him. And he felt alone and isolated and he got a bill for a million dollars and nobody. And so it was kind of yeah. one of, you know, so my, my advice to people is when, and, and by the way, this was right after he became a widow. Oh yeah. So hard. Yeah. And, and so, and so if had he had soaring spirits, he could have gone there, gotten the support that he needed that clearly his family was not capable of providing for him. Well, and that's the hardest part, I think, for me, is that we're all humans. And being human means that sometimes we fail. And in these, you know, and and in sometimes we're incapable. And so the, the beauty of having organizations like Soaring Spirits serving in this way is that it allows uh, an organization to come alongside someone and either augment the support they're already receiving or step into that gap of the absence of the support if they don't find themselves in the fortunate position of being supported by other people in other ways. I always say to people, it's ironic that I started Soaring Spirits because I was really well supported. I had a great family who was with me throughout. They didn't leave me for six weeks. I had friends. I had a community. I had a work community, but I didn't have any widowed people. And that's where when you can say you were so well supported and still felt alone, that's when you know that there's a gap that can really only be filled by other people living through the same thing. And so my hope is always that for families who are struggling to support someone who's widowed and they just think to themselves, I have no idea what else to do for this person. Um, two things, one to offer them grace because it's so much harder than it looks, even if it looks like it's really hard. And two, Soaring Spirits always welcomes requests from people who are support persons for someone who's widowed to interact with us, to reach out to us. We will always provide you with additional support in ways that you can provide support to the person that you love who's struggling through something that um, if it hasn't been your experience, you just can't possibly truly understand. So in, in some of the support that you offer, and I, and I should know this, but I don't, so I'll ask it. Um, in some of the support that you offer, do you, you offer support to other family members who are also going through that, but in a, in a little bit different way, as in kids or or brothers and sisters, that kind of thing? That's a great question. And so the, the answer is twofold. The first is that we offer general support for anyone who's supporting a widowed person. So we, we stay in our lane. We are very focused on providing the support for the widowed person, but we recognize that their support networks are doing the best they can and they want to help. And so we help to direct them. Um, and, and in terms of kids, we do offer a program that sits along our Camp Widow program in San Diego that provides 
a peer community for children who have experienced the death of a parent. So the way this works is that the widowed person would go to Camp Widow and the, their child or children would go to Camp Widow Kids. And those programs run simultaneously so that while the parents are interacting in their peer group, the kids are interacting in their peer group. They come back together at night and they go back to program in the morning and then same thing throughout the weekend. So that is currently only running in one location in San Diego because we just haven't found the funding to expand it to other locations. Um, but it's an incredible program because you can imagine like the whole family gets to come. The parents get to interact with other parents and other adults while the kids go to a place where imagine being a child in, you know, a kindergarten class and you're the only one with a dead dad or a dead mom. Um, and so oftentimes you're, you're the kid who has, a, you know, doesn't have anyone to come for, you know, dads for donuts or whatever other thing they might be having at school. Yes. Um, father, daughter, teas. Yeah. All of those kind of things. And so um, when they come to camp, the room is full of other kids who have had that experience as well. And so we create sort of this peer community for children who have experienced um, the death of a parent. So that that program runs from the ages of five to 17. And then um, we offer our 18 year olds an opportunity to to volunteer as team leaders in um, engage in that way. So it's been a really beautiful outreach. You know, it's one of the things that's kind of grown as the programs have grown. Um, but our focus, our, our laser focus is how do we help widowed people? Because when we do, we help their families, we help their communities, we help their businesses, we help our global community. Because until we are able to re-engage in life in a full and meaningful way, then you know the chances of us struggling with complicated grief or with all of the physical elements or mental ailments that come with unprocessed grief continues to rise and that's not good for anyone so our hope is that through serving you know really intentionally for our widowed community will also trickle out to um, all of the people around them as well well you know it's interesting that you say that because you know like when you go uh get in on on an airplane and the uh, stewardess says or steward says um and in the event of a depressurization and the mask comes down we want you to put the mask on yourself first and then help the person the child next to you or the person who's acting like a child and uh <laughs> And, and the reason that they do that is because they don't want you to pass out, because if you pass out, you can't help them at all. That's exactly so helping, right. Helping the widowed person learn how to deal with it and, and process through it, they in turn can help the people that are around them. For sure. To do yeah. It. So you're doing the exact right thing. Well, thank you. We we love it. We love our widowed people. We love what uh, community brings for and with them. So, yeah, it's it's great work. It's funny because people always say to me, you do what? Like, And almost like on purpose, um, you know, and I, I think that the, the funny thing is that you would imagine and I can imagine, you know, and this is true for our widowed people as well, by the way, anyone who has not yet interacted with Camp Widow or with Soaring Spirits thinks, oh, gosh, that's all sad. You know, like that's got to be nothing but sad. And um, I often have people say, like, do you guys that, like sing Kumbaya and cry? Like, what is it? What is going on here at Camp Widow? Um, but the, the reality is that when you provide a safe space for people to be who they are uh, at the end of every camp it has happened. So we've run 32 camps since our inception. We're, we're planning 33 right now, which will be quickly followed by 34, 35 and 36. Um, we have somebody say, I had no idea I was going to laugh that much. Um, you know, or my cheeks hurt from laughing because I have not laughed that much since my person died. And it's because in community, you have the opportunity to kind of be free. And in that freedom, there exists an unexpected joy. And so often people go home from camp thinking, I don't want to go back because this is my first interaction with joy that felt safe, that felt real. And uh, our hope is that they take that joy home with them and access it throughout the year and that they continue to interact with our programs to refresh that, you know, but so often, you know, people make the, ex the, they have the expectation that the only thing we're talking about is death. And the only thing we're doing is crying. And the reality is the opposite. Mostly what we're talking about is life. And oftentimes we're laughing. 
which is how you can negotiate through life the best oh, is yeah. is through laughter and through community and through storytelling and and having a good time and by the way speaking of which if you are a person of means and uh you would like because everybody deals with grief everybody deals with death but if you are somebody that can support this work it is a um 501c3 yep. right and so if you want to so if you can support this work so that they can do because i would love to see uh camp widow across the united states we I would think, too <laughs> and you know i i've told people too like we stand as a lighthouse right and our, our what we've been doing for 14 years is standing as a lighthouse but it's time for us to take the light out of the lighthouse, put it into hurricane lamps and go out into the communities where people have not yet found us. So if you're a person who believes in the power of hope and in taking that hope to people who haven't yet found it, we are an organization that will take whatever donation you're able to give us and change lives with it. It is a hundred. I can guarantee that a hundred percent. I feel so passionate about the opportunity to go into other communities where we haven't yet accessed all we need. We have everything we need except for enough funding to make it possible. So if you want to make a big difference with with the money that you have to give to charity, I promise you, if you give it to Soaring Spirits International, you will make a difference that is not only life-changing for the widowed person, but as we talked about, their whole circle of people, including yep. their local communities. It's it's a remarkable thing that you're doing, and um, I I admire your intestinal fortitude to, to <laughs> wake up one day and go, I think I'm going to do this, and I'm sure you had family. My friends. family thought I was crazy. I was gonna say. I think they probably still think I'm a little crazy, but um, at least it's worked out to to have an impact. If it hadn't had an impact, then they'd see, see, we told you that was a crazy idea. See, I'm sure somebody said, Michelle, 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 you just, you know, you just can't. You what are you can't. doing is what they said. What are you doing? <laughs> you, you are, you are remarkable. And I want to yeah, thank you very thank much. You. And uh, I, I'm going to have you back. We're going to, I can't wait. We're going to support you because this, this, is, this is really, 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 really important work. And uh, if we can make a community where none existed before, which is really what you've done, you've created a community from nothing. And that's, wow. you know, that's, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Well, changing the world is a team sport, as you know, and, uh, you know, the bigger your team, the more impact you can make. So I have an incredible team and we welcome additional teammates. You are awesome. And so is your team. Say hello to everybody. If you go I to the if you go to their website, they got a ton of people on there. So mm -hmm. that are volunteering and are helping and are putting yep. it together. So uh, our guest again has been Michelle Neff Hernandez and Soaring Spirits International is the company or the group and soaringspirits.org um, yep. is how you get there. So, so please, please, please give up your heart and do it. So anything you'd like to add before we go? It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. And it's always uh, a pleasure to be. With I you. love it. And I, I appreciate everyone listening. And also just know you send somebody to us, we promise to take good care of them. So if you're worried about someone who's widowed, if you're widowed yourself and you haven't yet found a community, um, please don't hesitate. We will we are here for you and we will be able to offer you a safe space for being just where you are and finding your way forward. Thank you again, Michelle. Have a great day, everybody, and uh, stay there. I'll be right back. Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of KMmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named KMmedia.pro, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great, positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other, because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time.